I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And a quick reminder that you can follow us at Pod. And by the way, if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas you want to share, tweet right at us. Now let's get on with the show. Senators, I attend the Senate in conformity with your notice for the purpose of joining with you for the trial of the President of the United States. I am now prepared to take the oath. Will you place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and the laws, so help you God. I do. The Senate trial of Donald J. Trump is finally very real and about to start. After three weeks of political maneuvering, during which Speaker Nancy Pelosi delayed sending over the two articles of impeachment the House voted last month, the Speaker pulled the trigger and dispatched her seven newly appointed managers to formally present them to the Senate for trial. But what kind of trial will it be? And how will senators vote when they are presented with that very crucial question, whether to allow witnesses to testify and new evidence to be presented? We'll discuss with somebody who's got unique insights into how things work in the Senate, Joe Donnelly, who until last year served in the Senate as a Democrat from Mike Pence's home state of Indiana. And we'll hear from one of the president's most ardent defenders, Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union, on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So the uh, moment we have been waiting for for many, many months is now happening. The uh, articles have been formally presented to the Senate. Uh, As we speak, the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, is being sworn in to preside over this historic trial. And what strikes me most of all is that although everybody seems to assume we know what the outcome of the trial is going to be, there are a lot of wild cards out there. Yeah, there are. Actually, the first thing I want to say is, do you remember 20 years ago, a little more than 20 years ago, when we were in uh, our bureau chief's office at Newsweek, uh, and uh, they were going over the reporting, and are we going to run the Lewinsky story? And someone says, you know, talking about how high the stakes are, this could lead to impeachment. And you and I looked at each other and rolled our eyes. What in the world are they talking about? (laughs) Yeah, impeachment. Like, (laughs) God damn it, man. This is our second (laughs) impeachment. (laughs) So, but yes, a few podcasts ago, I talked about, I call this the the Seinfeld impeachment, because it seemed like everyone, you know, impeachment in in a sense about nothing, not in the sense that the conduct is not, was not super, super serious. Conduct is hardly nothing. Not at all. No, that's not the point. The point is just that, like, you know, it's so partisan, both sides are in their own camps, and there's no kind of suspense, no drama, because everyone knows what the outcome is. That has changed, uh, at least on the question of witnesses. And if there are witnesses, that can change the dynamic of the whole thing. And I have to say, I think we expressed some skepticism, others certainly did, about Pelosi's tactic of holding back the impeachment articles to try to put pressure, to start a national conversation, to try to put pressure on some of these uh, Republicans in the Senate who are up for re-election and make it a hard vote for them. The jury is still out, as it were, but I think 
you know, I think it may be that this was a very uh, smart uh, tactic of, of, of hers, and she's going to look very good after this. We'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's certainly true that uh, there's been a lot more talk about getting additional testimony. We've, had, you know, you have Bolton saying he's willing to testify if subpoenaed, and clearly he's a uh, a crucial player in all this. We now have the uh, new allegations of Lev Parnas, one of the more odd characters in this whole drama, who was sort of the on-the-ground investigator, translator for Rudy Giuliani, has now turned on Rudy and the president and says publicly the president knew everything, although it's not clear exactly how Parnas knows anything other than what Rudy told him and what he was able to glean from listening in on Rudy's cell phone calls as an evidentiary matter. I'm not quite sure uh, the power of that, but, but certainly you already got this evidence spawning new investigations, including the Ukrainians. Yeah, because one of the things that uh, he appears to have said is that they, they were going to put surveillance on the uh, American ambassador over there, Maria Ivanovich. The Ukrainians are now looking into that. Yeah, so. although the guy who was suggesting he was conducting a little the, flaky. Uh, yes. surveillance is this guy Hyde running from Congress who's been involuntarily committed for uh, odd behavior. Uh, so I'm not quite sure how credible he is. But look, you know, I used the phrase wild card before. And if we just take Bolton as the emblematic example, neither side, it appears, has any idea what he'll say. I mean, he could totally damn the president and confirm everything that's in the articles of impeachment and say when he spoke to the president, Trump, you know, banged the table and said, God damn it, they've got to announce that investigation of Biden before they're getting a dime of this military aid. Or he could say Trump never said anything like that. If he testifies, that's going to be a moment of high drama. And let's not forget, he's got a book coming out. Right. I've read, I don't know if this is true, but he's actually pretty close to finishing this book. Yeah. This may be the moment that he wants the show-stopping testimony, not that he would be doing this for pecuniary reasons. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, again, another wild card. And an impeachment trial as book publicity. Um, you may want to be impeached yes, for your yes, next book. please get me impeached. <laughs> All right, um, we've got a lot to get to, so uh, let's get on with the show. We now have uh, on the line from his home in South Bend, Indiana, former Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly. Senator, welcome to Skullduggery. Thanks so much for having me with you. So a lot is going on in the United States Senate right now where you served for six years until early last year. Give us your take on how this Senate trial is going to play out. Well, I look at this as almost by the day, it seems additional information and additional evidence comes out. And so for those who are in tough situations, my friends on the Republican side who are looking at this, who have tough races ahead, it becomes more and more difficult to not want to hear additional evidence, I think. Senator, there are also Democrats who may be in, in tough uh, situations as well. You know, Doug Jones in Alabama, Kristen Sinema in Arizona. And I, so I guess I wonder, I guess there's two ways to ask this question. One is, what would your advice be to them? The other way to ask it is, if you were still in the Senate and you had a very, obviously a very tough race, Indiana was a state that decidedly was a Trump state, how do you think you would be thinking about this and, and what do you think you would do if you were a juror? Well, actually, my, my expectation from knowing these individuals and from being good friends with them, people like Senator Jones, um, I can't say for certain I'm in his head or anything like that, but I know what he's going to do as someone who has been a, uh, a former U.S. attorney who's been involved in these things. He's just going to follow where the evidence goes, and that will be the decision he makes based on what he sees come before him. He's, he's a terrific senator. That's the kind of person he is. And so when he looks at what's before him, that's how he's going to make his decision. Well, you've seen, you know, you're right. More evidence is coming out by the day, it seems. But there's already a ton of evidence out there, beginning with 
the record of the president's call with President Zelensky of, of Ukraine. Um, so given all the evidence that you've seen so far, how do you think uh, you would be thinking about this? You may reserve judgment until the final vote, sure. but uh, would you be leaning toward conviction? Well, I wouldn't lean anyway before the, the all the evidence is in because you take that oath to be impartial. But, you know, looking at, at what we've seen, if those facts come to be true, we all take an oath. And in the positions we're in, you know, for instance, if I was when I was serving in the Senate, if someone came in and I said to them, I can do this or that for you. But here's what I need you to do for me. That's basically extortion. And that's the kind of thing that gets you thrown out of the Senate and gets you um, before a U.S. attorney. And so when you look at that as a senator, you, you clearly know these are lines I cannot and will not cross. And so you come into it with an understanding of the issue based on that you have those same rules applied to you. And so it's pretty hard, I think, to look at the call that took place, to look at the things that were discussed and to simply say, ah, oh, it was no big deal. Actually, it was a really big deal. So, look, you know the members. Uh, you served with them for six years. There's going to be a vote very early on or after the opening statements at some point about witnesses, right? And you know everybody's looking at the Republican moderates, Susan Collins, Murkowski, maybe Lamar Alexander, certainly Mitt Romney. Game this out for us, how you see them voting on the crucial issue of whether to allow more witnesses. You may wind up in a 50-50 tie on that particular issue because Mitt Romney has clearly said he wants to hear more from witnesses. Susan Collins has said she'd like to hear more from witnesses. You have Lisa Murkowski. You have people like Martha McSally, who's in an extraordinarily tough race as well. You look at these numbers and you say, we may wind up at 50-50. And so, um, you know, I think that once the witness box opens, this goes to another level. And so I think your vote's probably going to be something like 50-50 or 51-49. On which side if it's 51-49? If it becomes 51-49, I think that would probably tip it to have witnesses. First of all, if it's 50-50... Who breaks the tie? I mean, does Roberts get a vote on this? It's not. He's not a member of the Senate. He presides. You know, I apologize. I would have to check back on that. I would know if I was still there today. (laughs) Um, we're going to but, have to get um, our skullduggery I, listeners to tweet at us yeah, and tell us yeah, what the, what the yeah. answer before is. We're done talking. But I think that um, actually the Republicans make the decision on that. I'm not certain. I apologize for not knowing yeah. that off the top of my head. But look, but they, I think that may be put it this way. I think um, I, I think if the Republicans make the decision, you can certainly expect at least a 50 50, I would think. I was talking to a uh, White House advisor, uh, somebody who keeps in very close tabs with the Republican senators uh, last night, uh, who was suggesting that Lamar Alexander is the key to this, that the assumption is, from the White House point of view, that Collins, Murkowski, and Romney will vote for more witnesses. And then, so who is that crucial fourth vote that could make it 51-49? And the one they're worried about most is Lamar Alexander, a moderate, as Senate Republicans go, but also somebody who has a very close relationship with Mitch McConnell, they go way back. So give us your prediction on how Lamar Alexander will vote. You know what? Here's what I know. Um, He is a friend. He has always done what he thinks is right. He feels the loyalty to the Republican Party, but I think his first loyalty is to the nation. So I I honestly think he's going to do what he thinks is right. And I don't know what that answer is on behalf of him. Yeah, look, the Republican argument here is the House had its chance 
to subpoena these witnesses. The House had a chance to try to seek this other evidence. They chose not to go to court. They chose not to press it in order to deliver these uh, articles of impeachment at the end of 2019, presumably not to interfere with the political calendar of the uh, Democratic caucuses and primaries. And therefore, it's not the Senate's job to reinvestigate what the House was supposed to investigate in the first place. I think the argument would be that there were witnesses that were restricted from being allowed to testify before the House. And so uh, when you say, look, these are people we need to hear from, for instance, John Bolton, who was not permitted to testify before the House, that what happens in the House, if they were not able to to get that information as a senator who's sitting in, in judgment of this, if having the testimony of John Bolton can help me make a better decision, I want to hear it, even though he wasn't before the House. You know, uh, whatever their reasons, I want to try to come to the best decision possible one way or the other. And the more information that can help me, the better. Senator, you're a lawyer. Uh, I am. You, right. And it seems to me that I've always been told the first thing a good trial lawyer learns is you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Right. And here we've got a witness. And and the other one, by the way, is (laughs) if the judge agrees with you, be quiet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Especially if it's the chief justice of the United States. right. Right. All right. So here we have a witness, John Bolton, and nobody has any idea what he might say. And it seems to me that's on its face for the Democrats. They are sort of violating that first rule. Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to because they don't know what Bolton would say. They could fight to the death and maybe prevail 5149 and get this witness testimony. And then it's a complete wild card as to what Bolton will testify to. But I think they would look at it as if we don't get his testimony, we have no chance to win. And so as as an attorney, if you're looking at a case and you go, I have no chance to win this unless I put this person on the stand, even even though I have no idea what they're going to say, uh, I have no downside because I have no chance to win. So it's a Hail Mary. It it is, uh, yeah, for want of a better way to put it, it is, here's the only play that can win, and I have no idea if it's going to work. Senator, let's go uh, to the next, the other big vote, which is conviction and removal or acquittal. You're known as a a moderate Democrat, a senator who always looked for consensus, uh, voted, you know, with uh, when Trump was in office, you voted with Trump, you know, I think at least 50 percent of the time or maybe more. I did. Uh, In in all likelihood, it's going to be a a partisan vote. You know, we're talking about the witness vote now. You may get some Republicans. You possibly could get a couple of Republicans on on the uh, substantive charges, but it is going to be a largely a party line vote. And so I guess my question to you is, does that concern you? Do you think that will be uh, damaging to sort of the fabric of our, our democracy? Are you worried about impeachment becoming, you know, politics by other means? Yeah, I think that um, it's overwhelmingly likely that you would not get the two thirds. But at the same time, you know how I think that my colleagues feel is we have an obligation to do what's required. And so I, I don't think Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, ever thought that impeachment would be good politics for her or for the Democrats in the House. And I think she probably actively tried to stay away from it. But at some point, when you take an oath and you look at activities that I either do this or I'm not fulfilling my oath, I think that's why Pelosi moved forward. She looked and said, I have no choice at this point but to move forward. And so I think it's the same in the Senate. Well, I guess in a way the question still stands, which is, you know, it can both be the right thing to do and damaging to the body politic. So how so granted that it's the right thing to do, but how damaging do you think this could be if it's an entirely partisan vote? I almost think that's already been cooked into this. That's what people expect. The politics are so broken at the present time that that's what much of this moves forward on, that for a lot of my Republican friends, if they vote to convict, their life is hell every day thereafter if they're trying to run for reelection or trying to be a significant factor in the Republican Party. And so 
I think that even the American people have largely baked that in already. You know, the polls do show uh, the country pretty much split down the middle on whether the evidence rises to the level of removal from office. Uh, in fact, the most recent Real Clear Politics uh, average I saw had, a, you know, a slightly larger, I think it was like 47 point something to 47 point something for uh, against removal. So, the, you know, the, then that raises the sort of more narrow political question down the road is how does this play if it plays at all, in the November elections. Now, I remember when you and I talked uh, some months ago, uh, you had mentioned that uh, how the uh, Kavanaugh nomination fight actually hurt you very badly in your reelection. The blowback from that, you know, may well have cost you your seat in Indiana. Um, right. Do you see a potential uh, parallel here with impeachment that it could actually hurt Democrats in November? Oh, I, I think in some states it would be a real problem. Sure. I mean, for instance, what happens in reddish states like Indiana when a situation like the Kavanaugh impeachment comes up, it isn't even the vote yes or no, but what happens is all of a sudden the voters go to their corners and all of a sudden instead of it being about Senator Joe, it becomes Republican versus Democrat. And so that's what an event like this does is everybody just kind of inherently goes back to their default position as opposed to, you know, thinking very strongly about it. And was it Kavanaugh that cost you your seat, you believe? Boy, I, I, it sure played a big role in it. You bet. It was one of those things where, you know, in the lead up with Justice Kennedy, it was almost the kind of thing that I looked every hour to see if, if he had announced anything because you're getting toward the point where if he didn't say anything by then, he'd stay for another year. And you kind of looked at it as, look, this is, this is the only trapdoor left that would cause a problem. And um, it was almost like the last hour of the last day. And so that's the kind of thing that can really get you going. Yeah, sorry for going on about that. No, no, not at all. Uh, one of the unique features of this impeachment trial is it is uh, going on in a presidential election year. I think in previous presidents have been in their second terms, I think, for the most part. And you this time around, you have three senators in the Democratic primary race who are uh, jurors in the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. So I guess uh, uh, first interested in your perspective on how Senators uh, Klobuchar, Sanders, and uh, who's the third one? Is Warren. And Warren. That's what I'm uh, here for. Yeah. And <laughs> your answers like that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, well, two old guys who are losing their memories. So we help each other out. How they should handle, you know, this kind of dance that they're going to be in. And then uh, we want to switch to the presidential race. Um, I think you may be backing uh, Joe Biden. Have you have you? Um, no, I have not. I have not okay. anything. OK, I'm well, not supporting anybody publicly. All right. Let's point. start with the first question about if you were in the Senate right now. You were a juror and you were running for president. You know, how do you how do you deal with that situation? This could go. You're talking about this going, you know, all the way up to the Iowa caucuses. I think they're sitting there going, I can't believe I'm not in Ottumwa or Storm Lake and I'm sitting here, I think is the first thing they're thinking. And, you know, they're going to do their job and do the very, very best they can. But it, it certainly makes it more difficult not being able to be out with the people of Iowa, because in these closing weeks, that personal touch makes a huge, huge difference. And being stuck in Washington makes it really difficult. Senator, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery. And by the way, yes. um, on the side, I was trying to figure out, I think Chief Justice Roberts is the one who breaks a 50 Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, that... <laughs> you, you heard it here, Skullduggery uh, listeners. Could be quite an yeah. interesting vote. That is not Senate. a... That's that... when he says, I have to go out for a sandwich and you never <laughs> see him again. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Thanks so much, Senator, and come back on the show. I sure will. Thank you. Thank you. And now for a somewhat different perspective on impeachment, we are joined by Matt Schlapp, president of the American Conservative Union and stalwart defender of President Trump. Matt, welcome to Skullduggery. 
Great to be with you, although you're, you, you know, what is this, starting off with fake news? Wait, I'm not the president, I'm the chairman. Let's go, oh, come on. Or you could have said czar. demoted or, <laughs> I guess czar. we can't say czar, because yeah. then you'd say I was Russian or something. I don't know how this works. But. And by the way, Isakov is the chief investigator. <laughs> That's right. There you go, Yahoo you see. News, so. Let's get it right. And by <laughs> the way, chairman, you I'm the chairman of the investigative And you say a differing yeah. opinion on impeachment. If, yeah. Do I differ from you two? What, who do I <laughs> no, differ no, no, differing no. Joe Donnelly. Sure, the, the, other, the other guy from Indiana. Yeah. Because you're a... You're from Notre Dame, right? Or you went to Notre Dame. It is true. What do they call them? Yeah. I'm a domer. A domer. But if okay. Joe Donnelly is for impeachment, I guess he's never running for office in Indiana. Okay, <laughs> yeah. That answers that yeah. question. Well, you helped kick him out of office. We so. did. We did. <laughs> I was happy to do it. All right. By the are... way, that was a different Senate trial. That was uh, Kavanaugh. <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, we are on the eve of the actual impeachment trial. The Chief Justice is being sworn in today. As we go into this, how are you feeling? I think it's weird. I feel like this impeachment, I was a staffer during the Clinton impeachment. You know, Democrats were actually, there was a lot of Democrats who were nervous about Clinton's behavior. You know, uh, there was White House staffers that were nervous about Clinton's behavior. You had 11 felonies. You know, Mike, your reporting was uh, well known at the time. I mean, it was like there was a real controversy in terms of criminal behavior. And uh, this one's just all politics. So I love politics. So I, I love the story in terms of, it's meaty, it's interesting, it's fascinating to see if Pelosi's in charge, is AOC in charge, what's motivating the Democrats, will this help them or hurt them? But I'm not worried about like the state of the criminal code of America. I'm not worried about our foreign policy. I'm not quaked to the center of my being about any kind of foundational American questions. But as far as a political story... It's hot. It's interesting, and I can see, you know, why everyone talks about it. Well, let's say let's say on politics for a second, and then we're going to get to some of those meteor okay. subjects that you mentioned. But just as a political matter, I am curious, and you're a shrewd observer of politics and political tactics. So I'm interested in your view of how Pelosi has handled this and her strategy of holding back the impeachment articles until just you know this week. That a lot of Democrats are crowing that it's been effective purely as a political matter. Right. Was it helpful to the Democrats? Well, you won't know until Election Day, right? Because this is all going to get adjudicated on Election Day. If she doesn't lose a lot of seats in the House, um, I think people will look back and say, hey, politically, she handled it well. You know, there was a lot of people, at least in this town, who I talked to, a lot of Democrats, who were saying she's fine, she's going to get the speakership. As soon as it was clear that she's getting the majority, it was like, she's so good, she's going to get the gavel. Well, it's a pretty tight vote for her to get that gavel. But she's, you, had the, she's had the squad kind of, you know, at her ankles the whole time. And uh, would I answer that she's adroitly managed that in the sense that they're all pleased with her handling of impeachment? Say yes. You know, it's purely political, not morality or anything. Right. Yeah, I think she's, she's still in power. She's, you know, she's kind of where she she's where she's been. She hasn't lost a lot of credibility with kind of who I would consider pretty radicalized members of the Democratic caucus. So, yeah, I think that's right. I think the downside, if you now want me to predict, I don't think this is going to be good politics for purple parts of the country, for the Democrats in her caucus who won in Trump supporting districts. So but look, before Which is 31, by the way, it's a right. lot of people. You may be looking forward to the uh, to the future in terms of the presidential election, but we've got a trial. To yeah, take place. that's right. And, you know, the purpose of her delay was to build some public pressure right. for witnesses. And we've already seen Susan Collins, uh, Lisa Murkowski, yeah. suggesting they're open to having more witnesses. Uh, John Bolton has publicly said if subpoenaed, he will testify. I'm good we, with all that. You're you're good with more witnesses. I am. To have witnesses. Yeah. You'd like to hear from John Bolton and yeah. Mick Mulvaney. I'm okay. Well, I mean, would I like to? I would say this. I would say I believe that the house has an obligation under you know an impeachment process to have an open process which i do not believe they passed that test i think that's one of the reasons why the democrats are in a tough position because it looked like they were political they didn't let the president's counsel really have a role in what witnesses appeared before those house committees so now it moves on to the senate and uh, you have a lot of republicans that want to get this over as fast as possible and kind of act like it never happened I have a different point of view, which is I feel like the American people should hear from everybody involved right. with so Ukraine. So which witnesses would you like to see uh, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, everyone involved with Ukraine, 
what the hell happened in 2016. Okay, but look, I, that, but, don't, but, don't 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 but, do that to me. Well, That's on, a legitimate. Do he hasn't done anything that, yet. I, done I got anything. that disdainful. I got a disdainful reaction. The argument is this is a trial of Donald Trump. Not no, of Joe a, Biden. That's not it what is the a, Senate is, does. No, nope. he is the the, the articles well, there are of impeachment are to I mean, impeach. You do put on the defense no, gets the no, the, the, relevance the Senate can do whatever it wants. Conduct. Of course, the Senate can do whatever it wants. All right, look. Do you know what John Bolton will say if he testifies at this trial? Look, John Bolton has been a long. Do you have any idea what he'll say? He has been a long-term board member of the American Conservative Union. He's a close friend. I have not asked him what he would say. My guess is he would say something along the lines about what his staffer, who did testify, said. My guess is John Bolton disagreed with uh, the policy of withholding aid. But my guess is also that John Bolton believes that there was no kind of criminal infraction. Just a drug and that, deal. And that foreign aid, well, you know, let's face it, John Bolton, as most senior advisors to President Trump, and if you want to expand it to most presidents, it's, they don't usually get as much press around it. <laughs> They're in hand-to-hand -hand combat with other people in other uh, senior positions to get the president to do what they think is the right thing to do. And, uh, and I, but the only thing different here is the, the role of Rudy Giuliani makes this slightly less usual. So we say it that way. <laughs> and I'm sure for John Bolton and other people involved in the Trump foreign policy team, I'm sure it was an irritant to have somebody outside of the government who also wanted to get one of these big jobs and didn't get right, it. Well, well, let me just one follow-up question because you mentioned uh, Giuliani. Do you think that Rudy Giuliani has been a net positive or a net negative for Trump in the last you know, year? I, I would say the same thing, which is we're going to find out. Like, I don't know how this all ends. I'm not smart enough to know. I don't have enough inside information. Well, I'm not just talking would, politically here. I would say at the beginning, I thought it was going to be a really big mistake. And as it's unfolded, I actually think Mayor Giuliani has done a very good job from a rhetorical standpoint, pushing back on a lot of these things. But he's narratives. all over the place, contradicting himself constantly. I mean, I didn't and, say it was perfect. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was a perfect thing, but I am going to tell you that I think that I was, I, I worried about the construct of Mueller with the president's legal team, specifically on Rudy Giuliani, and if they were like fighting the same type of, if they were in the same kind of milieu, for lack of an English word, and uh, and 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 in the end, I think perhaps Giuliani did understand that it was really going to be just all politics, and it really wasn't a legal case, as the Mueller report, you know, at least on the underlying criminal activity of collusion, uh, came out to. So I, I I'd say at the end of the day, Rudy Giuliani has done has far exceeded my. Uh, expectations in terms of pushing back on a lot of this, mm. some mean, of this hyperbole that's been you know, out there. Look, it was Rudy who uh, made it clear that Zelensky and to Zelensky himself and to his senior people that he had to announce an investigation of Joe Biden if he wanted a meeting with the president. Lev Parnas backed that up uh, last night in his interview with Rachel Maddow. It seems like the very idea that got Trump into trouble in the first place on this was coming from Rudy Giuliani, that it was he who made the nexus. Now, surely I think that's that right. was not a positive for Look, President I think, Trump. I think it's right that Rudy Giuliani certainly seems to be the person that was agitating, pushing the president, his client, uh, that there was something here that they should press into it. Uh, I think after watching... All those hours of all those House committees talking about impeachment, they didn't get that meeting. They wanted an Oval Office meeting. They didn't get that meeting. They got a sidebar meeting. They didn't get. They got the aid that they wanted. They got lethal aid in the end. So once again, all the underlying. I, I know this is fun for reporters to talk about, but in the yeah. end, there was there was no harm done to anybody in the process. Yes, there's a lot of noise. Yes, there's a lot of dust. Well, look, there's a lot of things here that people point to and say, "Well, this is not the way it's normally done." I'm not going to disagree with that. But in the end, there was nothing that was done towards this new administration in the Ukraine to hamper it. Matter of fact, there was a lot done to help. No, it. look, the issue on the table is uh, 
what the articles of impeachment, what Article 1 lays out, that the president was leveraging military aid in order to pressure a foreign government to conduct investigations that would be politically beneficial to him and that's would what, embarrass his rivals. That's actually what Obama did. What well, you just said but, is what Obama but, but, did in 2016. Like Obama is not, is not uh, being impeached right now. He's but, not but, no longer but president. But this is important so that if you the have— The question is but if whether Trump's you, conduct here was proper. Now, you don't believe that that phone call in which he explicitly asked uh, for Zelensky to investigate Biden was a perfect phone call. You don't believe that, do you? I think that human beings are imperfect and make mistakes in almost everything they do. And, and, and that includes the president here who did not the, make a perfect the, phone call. He made an imperfect perfect phone call every conversation is imperfect right. okay i'm but, sure i've already said something that was a little <laughs> off right but i mean yeah, i know you did because you introduced me with the wrong I, title I, I called you the president <laughs> when you are in fact the chairman and i will regret that to my dying day I so will, you're never going to be able uh, to say this was a perfect it, interview it, it, it was not a perfect interview i will grant you that but i'm also not being impeached so the question here is that whether we are going to hear from witnesses who can confirm or deny the specific allegations in those articles. Now, you've said you're open to hearing from But there's Bolton. only – the problem with all this is, is that I watched all of it, read about right. all of it. You all did the same. Um, I was – I'm a Trump supporter, right? My wife worked in the White House for two years. She's over there at the campaign in a senior position. I'm reading about all this, and I'm wondering, my God, is there something to this? Did they, you know, did they step yeah, foot they, over Yeah, there the is line? something to it. The president let asked me, Zelensky to investigate Biden. There's no issue right with that. There. I have no issue with that. You have no so, issue with that. At all. You think that was appropriate? He has to. What do you mean he has to? We have uh, treaties. We have international treaties saying we will route out corruption. What was he, he, the corruption? He, he, you don't think there was any corruption with, I the, don't, Biden, I, with the Biden setup well, to well, stop any heat? Uh, I would grant you that putting Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma was an unsavory, unethical thing. Could it be for worse? Hunter Biden to. By the accept. way, are our our vice presidents allowed to break ethical laws? Are they allowed to? Well, we, we, wait, wait, wait. Hold you on just a said second. it was Did unethical. The vice president? No, for Bi Hunter Biden to accept Hunter the job. Biden's ethics are all related to the fact that his father held an office, a constitutional office, that he swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, and follow these laws. And if Joe Biden had—let me just finish on this. This is important. If Joe Biden's son is making this extravagant amount of money yeah. to be on the board of this big company right. in the Ukraine, a country that Joe Biden, by his own words, has basically ball control for the administration— that any other vice president who had set up their son or whose son had decided— No, no, set up. Come on. Okay, no, okay, There's okay, not a scrap okay, of evidence okay, Biden set up okay, his son but he knew. This. But he knew, and the vice president was obligated under the law to remove the conflict, either have his son step down or have him relinquish ball control over the Ukraine. If this was Vice President Cheney's daughter yeah. or if this was Donald Trump Jr., or if this was Matt and Mercy Schlapp, all hell would be breaking well, loose on that. Well, now, hold on a second. First of all, you know, Matt, your wife, Mercedes, worked in in the Trump White House for two until years. recently. For two and now years. is that the campaign. You're a lobbyist, and we'll get to that in a moment. And you lobby the White House. So it I seems do. to me and that I, is the same sort of ethically questionable arrangement is, as Hunter Biden serving on a board while his father no. is uh, uh, conducting diplomacy with Ukraine. No, so this is... The, What's the I, difference? I hope you're not accusing me of committing a felony because no, that's what that would not. be of and you have not. no evidence of that no right? and i wasn't i wasn't okay I, so let me try to explain just so i don't you believe know. that biden committed a felony just so you, just so, so we're clear right having hired very expensive lawyers at a big democratic firm to make sure we didn't commit an infraction right is what you cannot do yeah. is go to your relative your right. spouse right and say hey i have i would like you to consider taking this action First of all, Mercy wasn't in a position to take any actions. The only thing she could do is grant Michael Isakoff an interview or not. She has no policy <laughs> she control. Well, she didn't right. do. She did Second not of do. all, no, no, although no, she, she likes you. <laughs> Second of all, you're not under the law allowed to use that relationship to advance the lobbying interests of the client. Third of all, and the yeah. lawyer said this in every way, right. if the relative has – the major say-so 
over a policy area, right? Yeah. That makes it even more serious. Right. So I all I'm saying is this. Right. If you are disquieted right. that the president used his power right. and leveraged our foreign assistance mm -hmm. to try to get something, you can't both be alarmed at that and say, hey, look, that raises serious questions, and not go back and say, where were y'all when this Hunter and Joe Biden thing was going on? More than one of those witnesses said they raised the concern yeah. within the Obama administration. No reporter really wrote the story. No, that's not true. And James Risen wrote a story in the New York Times in December 2015. The New York Times editorial board you know, condemn eventually, the arrangement. Eventually. Not event, it was 2015. Right? Eventually. Okay. I would agree with that. Eventually. Right, right. So if this did get reported at the time, and we are but, now but in the year 2020. No. This is five years no, later. No, I disagree with you. It's what? all wrapped around the same question. What the president was saying was, because all of this was swept under the rug from an investigatory standpoint, right. why did that happen? Shouldn't we look at all the wrongdoing from 2016? You covered 2016. There's a lot there to talk who's about. The, who's the we? He wasn't asking the Justice Department to do the investigation. He's asking a foreign government, the Ukraine, of all governments, the Ukrainian to. government. He's the obligated government to. You talk about as inherently He's obligated to anyway. route out corruption. Uh, under treaty and especially yeah. with foreign aid, he's obligated okay. to. And just for the record, though, there isn't a scrap of evidence that Hunter Biden lobbied his father or tried to influence his father in the conduct of Ukrainian policy. So you under want the me Obama to believe? You want me to believe? Right. That Joe Biden has ball control over the Ukraine, which you agree. Yes. That when Joe Biden used our foreign assistance mm -hmm. to pressure the Ukrainian, a previous Ukrainian administration to either do or not do something. Right. And at the same time, his surviving son is on the board of this rather massive Ukrainian gas company that has been on rather constant investigation mm -hmm. that you don't see any potential conflict of interest here that's worth well, of course there was a potential yeah, conflict of interest worth some attention by Congress to say yeah. maybe if we're looking at the Ukraine and the wrongdoing right. in terms of how we've used foreign assistance it is not just Trump and his actions that we should look at, As a, we should look at what's coupled together because his phone call was about what happened under the Obama years in 2016 and 15, et cetera. I, I mean, look, as a general a policy matter, uh, was it worth taking a look at this? Sure, the Congress could have held hearings. The Republican Senate could have held hearings if they thought this had broad national interest and, and affected future arrangements. And I they think could they, have held hearings on this should, years ago. And I think they should have. Right. But, but to have Trump ask the new president of, of Ukraine to conduct or to announce this investigation, uh, you know, well, at a time right he, after Joe Biden announces the, his the, candidacy you for have president. You had the transcript of the phone call. Yes. He didn't talk about the timing of anything. He said, would you do us a favor? <laughs> and like would you, you look to do at, us a favor, though. Would you look at what happened surrounding the 2016 campaign and specifically about Hunter Biden? Right. We have the transcript. That's why all that's why all of this additional well, witnesses, John Bolton, et cetera. Yeah. You have the transcript with the two people that were the participants in the phone call. Correct. We have witnesses who didn't witness much, but they heard things. We have one or two people that testified in the house who actually did listen into the phone call. Right. We have a whistleblower. Said they no were one, very disturbed yeah, by right. what they heard. What's your that's view right. on, on the whereabouts? Yes, of I the understand that. Look, I understand that Trump in this town. To a lot of people, he's disgusting. There's a lot of <laughs> These people. These were people on his own staff who true. were disturbed that's by it. That's not true. What are you talking oh, about? National Security Council, true. Fiona Hill, uh, Vindman. They worked for the president in the White House, they, and they found it disturbing. But as you know, yeah. uh, associated with the National Security Council more than any other uh, aspect of it, a Republican administration, yeah. it's chock full of people that can have huge political and policy differences with the president. And I dealt with that when Condi Rice was the national security advisor. And we all we had lots of meetings where we didn't include the national security staff because yep. we didn't trust them. And we didn't trust the fact that we could have honest conversations about what we knew and didn't know. 
What about the uh, server and what the president has said about the Ukrainian server? Um, I mean, sorry, the DNC server. Do the you, crowd strike piece of this? Yeah, I mean, do you think this server uh, may be in Ukraine? Know. Oh, come on. There, there's I not, there's it's, not a it's, scrap of evidence to support it. I mean, it was just I pure nonsense. The idea that the uh, server had I think, migrated your guess? to Ukraine? I mean, what's come your, what's I don't your know thought? How I don't buy that for a second. I don't know how I can say it's nonsense. I just don't know. <laughs> because, I'm giving you an honest answer. I don't know. Because there's absolutely no evidence well, that it happened, yet the president seems wedded well, to this crazy idea. Well, I don't think it's crazy to think that the uh, Ukrainian government was trying to do almost everything it could to weaken Donald Trump in the 2016 campaign. Maybe for, some people say, for valid reasons. They thought he was too aligned with Russia and that that would be very bad for the Ukraine. But there's no question that they took very public and private steps to try to help Hillary Clinton win. That kind of collusion seems to be just fine. I got one more question on this, then we're going to move on All quickly right, yeah. to some other things. Right. Lev Parnas. Uh, yes. Last couple of days, right. his notes have come out. He's given interviews. All in English, <laughs> English notes. You know, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I've never written notes to myself in Spanish. All right. So, you know. Okay. Do you want to see him testify uh, in the I Senate trial? I have no trial? problem with having. And I'm, I, look, I'm. I, I have a differing point of view than a lot of people who uh, who uh, are on my side of things politically. Yeah. But I, what what is the harm with having a trial with witnesses? I don't think there's really anything here. As Michael's question state. <clears throat> If you have a problem with the president calling a foreign leader to try to get that foreign leader to tell the American people if there's anything, they have anything to add to what happened in 2016. Uh, if you have a problem with that, you don't want to vote for Donald Trump, good, you're an American, do whatever you want, right? I don't think there's much more to learn about that. We have the transcript. But I do think that the, uh, I think there's a lot surrounding what happens at the State Department, at the CIA, at DOD, uh, when it comes to this idea that Donald Trump is not a legitimate president and they're trying to do everything possible they can to undermine him. Even just the fact that how many of these conversations with foreign leaders have been leaked. I know it's great for reporters. You guys don't have any problem with leaks. I understand that, and you should do your job to the max. But the fact is, is it's irregular. Why is it irregular? Well, this town does not accept him as the president. They're never going to accept him as the president. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to impeach him again. I think it's a big problem to have a crimeless impeachment. I think it's a big problem that they can't point to crimes. I think they can say they think what his conduct of foreign policy with Ukraine was wrong. It's over the line. This shouldn't happen. I get that that's their point of view. The difference is, is that the president has a wide degree of latitude under our con constitution to conduct foreign policy. And if you don't like how he's doing it, Vote against him. I think most Americans viewed the Republicans when we impeached Bill Clinton after 11 felonies and a special counsel and the president eventually being disbarred and paying nearly a million dollars in fines. We still were punished for it, even though there were crimes, because there is something about being too political about impeachment in the modern context that I don't think the American people like. I think they think they should decide who's president. Not the Senate, not the House. All right, bottom line well, on well, impeachment, well, what's the vote going to be on calling witnesses, it'll be and a, what's the final vote? Oh, that's a great question. I think in the end they won't have additional witnesses. What, what will the vote but, be? Uh, tight, really tight. Uh, 51, 50, 49? Does, I don't know in this case. Does the president— We just so discussed that in the previous segment. We yeah. think we think, we think the, Supreme, the, the chief justice might, but we're not— I, I, okay, so I think I'll give I'll give a prediction on that. I don't think the chief justice will put himself in any position where it looked like he had to use his independent judgment to break a logjam. I think yeah. he will do everything. It's the in last his thing power. he wants to do. That's so, right. He does that behind closed doors on things like Obamacare. He does not do that <laughs> when the cameras are Collins, rolling. Collins, Murkowski, Romney vote for witnesses. What does Lamar Alexander do? I'm not convinced that Romney does vote for witnesses. I think really? It, yeah, I think in the end the problem for Romney is. He's a lot older than me, but he looks a lot younger than me. I give the guy a lot of credit. He's like 100 years old. He's Methuselah, but he looks like he's 52. Well, you got the white hair. He he's no, yeah. he does, but he does look good. And I, yeah. you know, maybe he's not done. I keep thinking, why the hell did he run for this job? It's such a stupid job for a guy like him. Yeah. But he ran, and this idea in Utah that uh, that it's with that he can withstand being a constant Trump agitator is just not right. And I think he realizes that. And I think he's trying to figure out a way to. Be a Trump critic without just kind of final vote on uh, removal. Bi or not? Bipartisan to not remove. Com bipartisan. Completely you think you're bipartisan. Get a Democrat? Yes. No. no what Democrats? Uh, I think you get Mansion for sure. You get Mansion. Oh. And I think the Republicans stick together on this. And just remember, everyone oh. talks about Susan Collins. Just for it's it's impossible to forget that Donald Trump won half of Maine, 
And I can't think the last time a Republican did that. It's a long time ago. So this idea that Maine is all anti-Trump is no, wrong. No, there are a lot of parts of Maine and that are very Trumpy. And Lisa Murkowski won in Alaska where uh, there's a lot of Trump support. So I think this is trickier for these Republicans than they let on to. Lamar Alexander is retiring. That gives him a certain latitude, I suppose you could say. But in the end, Lamar Alexander, I believe, will do what Mitch McConnell wants him to do. They're very close lieutenants to each other. And in the end, I think that's what Lamar will do. Okay, a final question on a completely different and By the topic. way, but let me just yeah. say real quickly, yeah. if the Democrats get done with all this, and they couldn't right. hold all the Democrats in the House, they even lost a Democrat to the Republican Party, and if it's a bipartisan vote to, you know, to basically exonerate the president, I think that's bad politics. I think that's going to be bad politics for the Democrats. Bad politics for the Democrats. To go back and say we couldn't even hold all the Democrats and we didn't get the vote done. I don't know. I think they've gotten a lot of traction on uh, uh, the witness issue. And if no witnesses are allowed to testify, if John Bolton never testifies and then saves whatever he's got to say for his book, that's going to look pretty bad. And the uh, Democratic line, but, which is going to be such an easy this was a cover up. So I'm on CNN and you just asked me that question. Let's say you're a CNN host. Yeah. OK. The pushback is so clear on John Bolton. Yeah. You never subpoenaed him. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you really wanted to hear, we all knew that he yeah. had so but much they, information. But the Democrats want you to just, subpoena him now. But, but they didn't want to subpoena him in the House. Why? Because, because they, they wanted to run a charade deal where they could act like all John right. Bolton right. had some, right. some right. evidence. Got a couple, that we got two more, a couple, couple more questions. But you, act like, you, that, got, but you right. act like that's a crazy idea. Why didn't they push to hear from him? Fair point. I think a lot of Democrats are thinking, have second thoughts on that. I remember uh, vividly going to the CPAC conference in January 2017. Right. I think that's the last time you and I spoke in person. And uh, that was the conference where President Trump speaks and uses the phrase talking about us in the media, enemy of the people. Mm -hmm. And I sort of vividly remember the chill in the room among the press to hear that kind of language about us who try to report on what's going on in the world. Do you understand why it was so spooky yeah. to hear a president using language borrowed from Stalinist Stalin. Russia in the 1930s to talk about a free independent media. Well, I don't think he had any intent of hearkening back to Stalin. Well, that's, but that's I, the origins well, let me, of but let, the Let phrase. me try to answer. So I think you're a good reporter. Uh, I have respect for you. This is probably going to hurt me in my circles. But I have respect for you. might hurt him, too. Okay, okay, so I I, I kind of respect you. Is that better? (laughs) But no, the point is is this, which is I actually do think that uh, it is a frightening thing that's happened. I was on the phone with a reporter who I have dealt with for 15 years who is spewing, from my standpoint, look, I'm a partisan, okay? I'm a Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. But spewing this Trump hatred rather regularly. Every story is this Trump hatred. No, same same answers on Hunter. There's nothing to see. There are no crimes. Neither was, but Trump, it's Trump, not Trump. What either of us said. Well, by I'm the just way. well, I'm, I'm just saying that's making it clear. Okay, yeah. but the predominant pushback from uh, at least a lot of the TV journalists I deal with, um, mm-hmm. it's that same thing. I think it's alarming how many journalists, especially TV journalists, but I'm telling you, the Washington Post and New York Times, all these papers I used to read regularly, how easy the clothes seem to fit them. When they are writing in a way that I cannot differentiate from real hardcore left-wing blogs, political blogs, and I think that is a big, big problem. You cannot, you can disrespect Donald Trump because you think he's over the line in his rhetoric on the press. The press and the media still have a job to do, and their job is not to take Trump down. Their job is to go after all the stories. And I fail. But it's also to call out bullshit, which we hear a lot of from this White House. I don't think it's bullshit to say that the press's, the media's response to Donald Trump's election is repugnant. As a Trump supporter, I saw the media fall right into this idea that he had colluded with Russia throughout the campaign, that he had already committed impeachable offenses. They gave Adam Schiff above the fold coverage every time he said he had the evidence for collusion. That was clearly a lie. Even Bob Mueller and all of his Democratic attorneys couldn't find any veracity to those charges. Mike, not one journalist has lost their job 
over the fact that they got Russia 180 degrees wrong. Now, maybe that doesn't make you an enemy of the state, but you mm-hmm. are missed, not you, but the profession has been triggered somehow by Trump. They have lost their minds. And just so you know, yes, New York and Washington and 50% of the country, if I, if, I, if I say it roughly, probably is cheering all that on. But from the parts of the country I come from, places like Kansas and the place where we do our CPAC events, they don't read or follow this anymore. They don't think they're really independent journalists. I'm curious. That is, that, a, that is terrible for America. Do you think that's left-wing bias? I think it's anti-Trump bias. Do you think I it think was also anti-Clinton bias when, when uh, Democrats made exactly the same accusations? I think a against- lot of I think a lot of journalists didn't like the Clintons. I would agree with you on that. So it doesn't fall always neatly between a Republican and Democrat. It falls pretty cleanly within an anti-Trump. Do you think within a, within a, with an anti-Trump group? Do you think journalists are like like less ethical, have less integrity than than say? You know, political operatives, uh, or used car salesmen or trial lawyers. Okay, so I don't you know put where them all in I don't the know same. You're trying to go. So you put them Look, all in the same category. All I can tell you is, all I can tell you is this: on the specific qu- Look, I worked for George W. Bush. I would say that the media treatment of George W. Bush throughout his eight years, maybe take the first year out of it, it was pretty scathing. And people forget. People say, "When did all this start?" For a Republican. The end of the Bush administration was painful. He left office with like 30% approval ratings. He was a defeated politician in every sense of the word, even though he did some great things on Africa on the the way out the door. You know, this is – when we watch President Obama, you know, yes, I'm sure there were a few negative stories, but his wife is on the cover of every magazine constantly. It's like they are lionized, tingles up the legs, right? And the hard thing is, is that we hated Obama. We hated all of his policies. He ended up being much left-wing than I ever imagined. I, I hated almost everything the guy did. I liked it when he took out Osama bin Laden. I thought that was good. But there wasn't many other things I agreed with. Do you think he was there scandal-ridden was this, and the, unethical? Yes, yes, I do. I think what he did in the 2016 campaign is one of the worst things I could ever imagine a president doing. I think it's worse than what Nixon did. And I don't think any what? of you wait, care. Wait, 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 oh, you and I don't that, think any of you what care. You, you mean on Russia? On- I mean using our intelligence community to spy on Trump? I think it's well, disgusting. hold on a second. Let's not get ahead of the facts. We had a very damning Inspector General report come out about the FBI and were abuses those facts? on FISA. Those were facts. And that was disgusting. But, the, but, but, was but it disgusting? the Inspector General, it was, it was clearly evidence of wrongdoing Mis- at the at highest the, the levels Wrong of misuse the misuse of power within yes. the FBI. Yes, you would agree, agree with that. I agree okay. with that. But, Who does the FBI but, report to? But, but hold on Who a second. Who does the FBI report but to? But that report did not show that there was any political bias by the FBI or, or that, that they directed, were being directed. That's In not fact, true. In fact, one of the findings, nope, excuse me, Matt, one of the main findings of the nope. report is the FBI was doing stuff in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation that it never even ran by the Justice Department. Oh. The political appointees at the Justice Department, according to the report, were clueless about the steps just, the FBI was taking. I just want to make clear. It's in the report. You can say Horowitz said that he didn't find evidence that's correct. Of political actions. That's correct. And I'm paraphrasing there. But I also believe that it wasn't his charge to determine when politics was being used. It was his policy to determine wrongdoing, let me finish, within the FBI, okay, mm-hmm. which is why we have the separate investigation. Now, I don't have any information about whether they're going to find more wrong. But just you finish. just, you more just stated as a fact because, that the Obama White House weaponized is, yes. the intelligence community yes, to go they after did. Trump. They when did. You, and, and here you just said you, you actually don't have any evidence but you won't of let that. Let me talk. Let me talk. Please. If a Republican president yes. had had the FBI and the CIA and intelligence communities do rogue things, would you, and that president said, would you say, ah, that wasn't him? Or would you say, you know what? It's not good enough for the no, president I'd to say I didn't know. Look to That's see the first if there thing. was evidence. But the second thing is, when I read in the page struck text yes. that Obama wanted to be kept up to date on every aspect of this, I'm sorry, 
But that leads me to believe that he was being updated on every aspect of this. And I'm not the reporter here. Is that fair? I, I, I think a fair reading of that is that the White House was getting plenty of information about what the Russians were doing to meddle in our election, cyber ha- hacking and, and, and probing state election systems and reaching and out to members of the Trump campaign. And specifically. And all those, and all those are of legitimate not concern. Not reaching out. Not reaching out. Let's go through this. This is very important. Having worked in the West Wing, yeah, the fact that Mike, that a drug dealer in Detroit cannot get arrested without being read his or her Miranda rights, right? How is it that the President of the United States can get an intelligence briefing when the point of that is to ascertain information for a counterintelligence investigation? No one read him his Miranda rights when they he went wasn't into being Mike arrested. Flynn, when he ran into he when wasn't he went being into arrested. they were conducting an interview. As an investigation, both the president and Mike Flynn thought they were being briefed by the FBI so that they could do their jobs better. That is a horrible abuse of power. And by the way, if you're if you if you if you sweep it under the rug with the Obama team because he was such an amazing president, what will you do with a president with dictatorial tendencies who says, "Look what Obama could do with this power. I can put this on steroids because it's just fine." We we could go on for hours. But are you on not this. troubled with what no, happened no, no. during I, the Obama I will, days? I will. Hold on a second. I will say that I did find that passage of the Inspector General report in which they talk about how the FBI sent one of the Crossfire Hurricane agents into that briefing, campaign briefing for. Trump and Flynn, that raised a whole host of legitimate questions. But also, so I want to hear that about same, that. In that same passage, though, they said that was not done with even the knowledge of the political appointees of the Justice Department. So to put this on the That's Obama White House That's not good is, is so, uh, look, far I'm a beyond I'm gonna say I'm a what the facts show. I'm going to tell you, point. I don't know specifically what Obama knew and when he knew it. My position is that it's the Congress's job and DOJ's job to give me those answers as a voter. I want to know the answers. And if the answers are all exculpatory, and Obama was never kept (laughs) up to speed. You will will proudly announce that at the CPAC, upcoming CPAC conference you're now organizing And if something else happens, you will come to CPAC. (laughs) And you will you will orally explain will, the disgra- disgraceful abuse of power. I of the will Obama be years. happy to speak at speak right. at, at CPAC as a representative of the enemy of the people. Matt Schlapp, thanks for joining thanks, us guys. on Scott. That was a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> thanks to former Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly and Chairman of the American Conservative Union Matt Schlapp for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on Sirius XM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Talk to you soon.